0: Hello and welcome to What Are You Laughing At, the British Comedy Guide podcast. I'm Dave Cohen. Joining me today is the stand-up writer, author, actor, creator of one of my favourite radio shows, In and Out of the Kitchen. Let's just say he does everything and he's great at all of it. It's Miles Jupp. Uh,
1: Good morning. That's a very kind introduction.
0: Yeah, well, you're welcome. I'm a big fan and... yeah, you've got a big stand-up tour starting now, haven't you? Is this one of your first? Uh, this is your first sort of big national tour, or it you, is you of a
1: sort of a straight stand-up show. I did sort of fifty-one dates earlier in the year, and I'm about to do another twenty-something. Right. I haven't. I did when I did this show, Fib in the Heat, that was about cricket. I did hmm. two shows of that in the end, uh, two tours of it. But this is the first tour of a sort of stand-up show. I haven't done a straight stand-up show since about. 2009 at Edinburgh which was right. a show that I did and then just those, those shows you write that you do and then you do about twice more and that's, that's sort of it really and you think yeah. am I, why am I still doing this uh, whereas with this one I, I hadn't done one for ages and I, and I sort of thought I ought to wanted to do one really partly because I feel the need to constantly try and generate stuff but also I, I, I wanted to have an op- to deserve an opinion on the stand up to have an opinion about stand-up, and I got to a point where I sort of wondered if I actually did deserve to. I hadn't done any for so long, and I was starting to enjoy the sort of treats of it, I suppose, doing those gigs that are meant to be gigs for stand-ups, um, you know, panel shows and things, and thought, hang on a minute, it's drifting further away from that thing that ought to be or used to be at the crux of this, so i better go back and do it.
0: You started out as a stand-up then, obviously?
1: Yeah, that something. was my first thing that i would have been paid any money for i suppose yeah when i was at university
0: when rough, roughly when was that uh
1: i my first stand-up gig was in march 2000 when i was at uh, edinburgh
0: right okay and you you became a, a circuit stand-up circuit regular yeah uh,
1: yeah well it was quite it was great because it was quite a small uh pool at that at that point there was this the club the stand comedy club which is still there and then glasgow one opened um and in those days, I mean, I, w- I, would, I would ring and ask for an open spot and you'd do an open spot and then maybe they'd ring you and say, oh, we've got some more, but there's another one on Thursday and can you do next, you know, two weeks Tuesday? And so you'd be offered open spots in a way that now, I mean, now it's, it's a much longer waiting list, but it meant that one could sort of get a lot of stage time quite quite quickly. So I can't remember exactly how long, but it wasn't all that long before I had a sort of functioning 20 Right, I suppose it might mm-hmm. have been a year or something.
0: Presumably, you were playing the the, the sort of the comedy store and the jonglers. uh were you, were you? Did you? N- do not those for gigs? a
1: while. I did. I remember I, I, when I sort of got an agent down here. I would come down and do odd weekends in places. But there, there was a. I can't remember when I would have first done a weekend at the store. It was actually not all that long ago, probably. But I would come and do, yeah, Jonglers Battersea and things like that. Mm. Uh, uh you know, a lot of the sort of Londony gigs. I mean I would sort of fly down I'd get the train down and do two or three gigs and then go back to Edinburgh again and it was a sort of slight sort of you know, I'd get the train down and do a ten minute gig and then go right. go back again or something. It was pretty bonkers. But I, I I quite I would I'd find it quite exciting going to those you know, the big ones and then suddenly Monday or back sitting in lectures or, or whatever. <laughs>
0: right because i am i'm slightly curious how i've not actually seen you doing stand up live but i'm, I'm right, aware right. of the kind of persona that comes across on the panel shows and things and like that and uh, it's sort of sl- you're, you're you're not what i would call a, sort of a, a, a typical working stand up comedian you're you're um, in terms of the the Thinking of those kind of like late night gigs and things, you're someone who has a slightly more uh, there's there's kind of a few more layers and a few more
1: levels to what you do, and and just just, generally a bit more smug. Um, (laughs) I, well, I the thing is actually the old now I don't know I've got to a point now where I've done sort of a lot of a lot of it, so it it can generally uh, I generally I hope it sort of works. Uh, I mean, I I, the thing is when I started out, actually, very quickly it developed into a thing that's much more. Sort of antagonistic, really. I mean, now I'm when I do say this tour I'm doing, I, I'm in a position, sort of, quite fortunate where people coming generally know the sort of thing they're uh, coming to, or at least think that they know a version of me. But when I, I, I recently, I recorded a DVD of Fibber in the Heat, which I'd wanted to do for ages and just hadn't got around to it. And I sort of dusted it off and went down to um, Milford Haven and and did a did a show of it, and I I really enjoyed it, and I thought. All this stuff I've done over the years—I've done, you know—I fibber was my, my sixth solo show or something. So I've done all these shows, and I thought maybe one could sort of dust a few of them else off and record them and see what see what would happen. And I—I I had my laptop with me, and I've got all the shows on the laptop. And I went back and looked at the first Edinburgh show I did, which was in two thousand and three, because I had this vague idea at one point that I would get maybe my first two shows, which was much sort of it was sort of corduroys and tweed in those days, and I really would behave as if I was an actual aristocrat or or something, and I had this vague idea wouldn't it be nice to do a record a gig at the German Street Theatre just so one could have an album called live from german street i just I thought was would quite nice, and I went back and looked at it and um god i couldn't I was sort of quite shocked by it i mean it was it was one it was relentless it was nearly all sort of one there was very little by way of narrative in it it was all sort of one line it was sort of quite it was really brutal I mean a lot of it was just sort of antagonistic unpleasantness and and in a way uh and sort of snobby remarks i mean the point of it was that the the person making those remarks would be in the wrong but then the the goalposts really changed i think in the first 5 minutes First, not five minutes. First five years in which I did that would be an incredible quick uh, cultural change. Uh, but in the first sort of five years, but the point of it was that if I was making snobby remarks, then obviously I was the victim of of the joke because that is would, ought to be perceived as being the the wrong perspective from which to be speaking. But it, uh, I, it so, it, but in a live way, it would kind of work because it would be sort of it would be baity and antagonistic, and you know you would just be sort of pushing an audience to see how far they could go, so in a way it was sort of, it was almost sort of not pantomime, but it was it was just going out there and saying sort of naughty things uh, so it, it was pushing an audience harder than jabbing at them in a way that what I do now is just a sort of lengthy mumble that people can tune some people tune into and some people don't
0: But presumably that's partly uh, I guess, I mean a lot of people, I remember when I was starting out and there were a, a lot of people who um were were actors and were quite clearly actors and they they they, they learned that by doing a certain number of uh open spots they could get an equity card right and so they they would come on in character and it's i mean it sort of sounds a little bit like you 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 it was a character more yeah it started as me suppose. and then it yeah. became
1: a persona and then it became a character and then it's sort of gone back to being persona and sort of almost back to being. Me, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I,
0: it's the difference, isn't it? With stand-up, you're kind of an exaggerated version of yourself, rather than being, yeah, cl- being in character. Although some people were fantastic in character.
1: Yeah, I think it, I it started out as me, and it had my name. And then I, I remember people saying, you know, you could go, you could sort of come on wearing these sorts of clothes and push it a bit, kind of further. And then we did this show in Scotland called the Live Floor Show, which was a BBC One. Scotland programme yeah, yeah. and on that I did I I mean I'd only I'd only been going two years or something and I I was so I, I didn't even know I was allowed to do stuff I already did I thought it had to be new gear and um, no one actually said anything so I, about that so I wrote new stuff for this TV thing despite having a working yeah. <laughs> a working 20 much of which I used then in the sort of second series but I I in that, and I sort of like well, full-on character. I was called like the Honourable Rupert Donaldson. and that, you know, that Radio Times Guide to Comedy by Mark, somebody or other. I can't remember. The, There's a sort of big, big volume, you can, yeah, and yeah, I looked yeah. in that once, and i I'm yeah. down as um, a man called Rupert Donaldson playing a comedy character called Mice <laughs> Um But I uh that's how I made it the thing, and then it one was on a set, and it was a proper piece, mm. you know. But it didn't start out really as a sort of acting thing. I mean, I was very serious about being a stand-up. Once yeah. I started doing a few gigs and I got such a buzz from it, I thought, "Oh, this is the thing! Stand-up is the." You You'll know be that's, very that's upset what I felt.
0: by the way I think. He's that the, that Mark lewison is it? I think he. Yeah, because yeah. uh, he's really does. You know, he does his. I think he's just brought out a four thousand page book about the Beatles, the first two years or something. Has he got? Oh really? Well, I mean, I mean I'm in mean, I mean that. He's, he's, he's definitely made a mistake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he likes. he Doesn't like to get his. Uh, make make errors there so um, I'm, I'm sure he would uh, oh dear, well, I don't that, mean him to
1: be devastated it was <laughs> tiny probably the typesetter
0: <laughs> um, you, your kind of stand up career moved I, I, sort of relatively quickly I would say compared to a lot of
1: yeah but I think it either. happened as a result of being where I was I mean I was very fortunate that yeah. I was in uh, in Scotland at that time and that mm. also that there was a full time comedy club and then another one opened in yeah. Glasgow so I could do a lot of gigs also at the same place, and so when there was a sort of trusting, yeah. uh, frequent environment, it meant that I would come to London sometimes and do do gigs at a time when maybe eighty percent of my gigs were at the stand, and I would actually I wouldn't I literally wouldn't know how to play a bigger, a room that was a different shape. I remember mm. coming down and dying on my ass at the banana, and um, my agent saying, "Yeah, at no point you really." You, well you were only playing to the front sort of three rows or something you know you'd never acknowledge the balcony at any point and I hadn't I hadn't physically I was so used to standing in a particular way and doing the, doing the thing that when I suddenly in a bigger room I hadn't it didn't even occur to me to do that differently this sort of, sort of natural physical performance that yeah. attached itself to the set that I didn't hadn't even noticed was there so you know of well, course an audience isn't going to buy into a man <laughs> standing on a flat floor basically staring at his feet
0: that's interesting that you say you you did uh, lots of new material that out of naivety you on tv you, oh yeah a lot of people who are after a, like a year or so of ex- uh, success and they suddenly they go on tv and they use up their 20 minutes in four five minute slots yeah and then suddenly they've got nothing and they have to basically sort of go back and start again in a sense i suppose that that must have given you the confidence to actually go out and do new material for the first time, actually do it on TV, and that must have given you confidence as a writer. I don't
1: but. know if it did. I mean, well, I was that when we started doing that, I, I was writing with a chap called Nick um, Finley Coulson, who's an architect. And we, it was eight episodes, so I needed 32 minutes in not very long. It was, I mean, suddenly I was.
0: A funny architect, I hope. I He's a very say. funny architect yeah.
1: and technical, general he gave, technical he drawer. Gave
0: you the sort of structure you did the it, it, <laughs> yes, exactly. Later from the foundation. Sorry, f- I went works it. Only, works in, with only this. works in pencils and rulers.
1: <coughs> I think one of his greatest hits as an architect was that he he was responsible for the Standard Life Building on um, Lothian Road oh. being about about ten feet longer than it should be in one direction, <laughs> thus cutting out all of the natural light to another <laughs> building on that street. Um, but he. We so about this. The show started in sort of February or something, and I only found out I was on it in December, despite the fact that researchers seem to have been already employed on it for months. Um, but the uh, so I, I mean I panicked and I said, "Well, I, I'm thirty-two minutes. I mean that's awful quick. I mean, two years to do twenty. I mean, can I write with someone?" And that was, as it happened, fine. And so I, I that that did from that point of view. Actually, the confidence of doing new stuff, and it's been something that's been really good in going you know, into radio and what ever even doing like corporate gigs is just the thing of doing stuff specifically for that purpose doing it once and getting new stuff out there was something that was really helpful doing this tour actually being in a not being not panicking about the fact that basically I was going out with an hour and 40 minutes of material um I did five previews and then did the did the tour so I, hmm. but I did that thing of it's more the confidence of doing that sort of stuff turning around quickly was helpful the, the being on live flourish gave me no confidence whatsoever really i mean it was a period of complete panic and um it was the whole week became about this sort of four minutes standing on a stage in a studio with bright lighting and being you know really really out of my depth and um no it wasn't it wasn't good for my confidence at all it was a real mm-hmm. it was it, no i don't i don't i, don't, I didn't well, feel must like have that
0: done i mean
1: you you were asked back for the second series I uh, was asked back for half the half (laughs) the episodes in the second series me and Paul Sneddon were started alternating us in the uh, second one so it wasn't I mean I couldn't call my first series an unqualified success in the second series I I was like oh I can use my old stuff that definitely (laughs) works and so I had a a slightly different um, run at it but it was a I mean I was very very young and very new to be doing that sort of thing and I I would have learnt a lot Hmm. from it Um, but it's to apply those lessons has probably taken right. a decade or
0: yeah yeah just uh, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about the about live stuff and starting out but i I, I want to talk uh, at this point maybe just just about uh, Rev because that's probably the most kind of high profile Thing that you've been seen in most recently? Would you do you say? Do you think that's been
1: yeah, like, as a, as a big thing? Yeah, yeah I mean, I've been yeah. on one-offs that have probably got...
0: yeah. It's been. I mean, it's it was a quite um the last uh, series I thought was um was you know, very very quite quite unflinching really, wasn't it? And it wasn't all wasn't all played for laughs on the contrary, That was quite quite a hard hard hitting kind of show. I mean, you've been in all three series and. Presumably, you've seen this sort of progression
1: with with the scripts. Yeah, I mean, it's over a long period of time, isn't it? I mean, it, it's very one of the strange things about it is it's been really spread out. So, the first series we filmed at the beginning of right at the start of 2010, right? And then the next one was in 2012, was it? 2011, I can't, oh, it was over two years between series two and three, which right. is a ludicrously long. Even, I think, um, the Bad Boys sequel came around quicker than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so it was really... It was a very... You know, it is spread out over a long, long yeah. time. But I also... With the, with that, I mean, in a way, Rev is, is a sort of uh, turn-up-and-do-what-you're-told sort of gig mm-hmm. for me, really. Uh, you know, I read the, <laughs> read the scripts that they sent them, and then you do the table reading and stuff. And so perhaps that, that aspect of things is... You know, I was, didn't notice really how brutal it was. I remember reading the scripts of this series and thinking, oh, it's really funny. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but th- things get rewritten a lot during rehearsals and stuff right. like that. But it, what, well, I, and I have to say, I've not actually seen, I've only seen the last episode. I was, there's five episodes of this new series I've not seen. Right. But from the sort of thing that people say, yes, it sounds like it was un, it was unflinching and quite dark. I spoke to someone who saw the first episode and I thought, oh, yeah, there seemed to be more jokes in it this time but um no i found it quite a strange i found it quite strange coming back and doing another series to be yeah to be honest
0: yeah and i mean it sort of doesn't look like there's room for it to be another for there to be another series oh i
1: really wouldn't have thought so i mean i i when it fin- when the second series finished with the christmas special i i mean to me that that could have been that could have been it really Um, and I also thought once my character Nigel had been turned down for the ministry, that that would sort of be it for him. So I was surprised when there was a third series, and then I was surprised that my character was in it, and then they shifted the dates forwards and back, I think twice, um, for the whole thing. So in a way, once we started doing the third series, I I was surprised that it was happening and that I was in it, and that, um, you know, all those things yeah but i'm you know i'm glad they i'm glad they did it i mean i think it sounds from everything i've heard it sounds it sounds like it went well <laughs> <laughs> not that you've seen it or anything yes well no but you just just in it yeah but, but i mean yeah but then your your, your relation to something that you're really yeah. so different from oh yeah something yeah. that you true, true yeah. sort of, that's why it's mm. you know i do something like the thick of it say which i would watch before and then i mean that's gonna be a completely different experience you know you, you watch something and really like it, and then suddenly you're in it, and that's a, that's that's a big risk. But that was yeah, that was, yeah. A, that was delightful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it was, it was Rev was, uh, you know, I was doing nothing at all before Rev came along. Really, yeah. I'd moved. I'm just I'm
0: interested because I know your your background. Your your father was a, a minister, and, um, yeah. and in fact, you were telling us just before the interview started, he was the, the chairman of the what the Hampstead.
1: Um, Hampstead Council of Christians and Jews. I Which think I've I got didn't that right. Even know existed. Um, but, uh, well, it's a very oh. covert operation. <laughs> um, a lot of dead letter drops and things. He, um, yeah, but I think I think chairman, maybe president, maybe right. maybe there's another word that yeah. I'm forgetting. Yeah, and I, I think okay. I'm right in saying that he was, but sometimes a in Christian in charge, not a Jew, you notice there. But um, you say always. We've only got you've only got one evidence. It's not really a controlled <laughs> experiment. You're making <laughs> that's true. You're that's making true. an assumption, yeah. and what the wider yeah. implications of that it's assumption just, are, I've got. I well, just people just think
0: we control the media, you see, so that's why. No, why, why, why when
1: you, know, you say we, I mean what, me personally. But, oh, I think I can,
0: control Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, well you
1: probably, but, uh, you I'm probably,
0: a, you probably do. Yeah, yeah, yes. So Just keep the lizard costume uh, (laughs) hidden for now. But I'm curious. I I, I wonder how, because I mean, Rev seems to be a kind of for a show about um, a church. It it seems to be not not an anti-religious show, but but a kind of show that seems to sort of confront Christianity um, and and
1: find it wanting. Well, I think it confronts Christianity from a Christian perspective really i mean the yeah. people that mm-hmm. they but the stories that they get from it are all got from you know from real mm-hmm. church people doing real church things and about real mm-hmm. church things i mean it's quite heavily researched in that point of view it does but that that's sort of what christianity is really i mean generally uh, you know that's sort the of, uh, faith-seeking understanding thing that um people talk about and uh, you know room for doubt and that kind of things I mean the the, the, the sort of uh, faith that seem to be the, the only people that seem to be super certain are um, uh, atheists and what a, what a confident bunch they are and how, how mm. likeable it makes them I always think and um, uh, evangelicals, the other people seem to be sort of mm. super certain. Where, uh whereas uh, you know I
0: think the rest of Christianity, well, they sort kind of, of muddle through, really, don't we? Yeah, and mm. I think
1: <laughs> Rev, Rev is very much about kind <laughs> I, of muddling through. I think when Rev was about to come out, there were some, certainly some church people going, "Oh well, of course we're such easy targets and whatever, and it's going to be yeah, sick of this sort of nonsense," uh, and that's kind of not what it's uh, what it's about, really. Yeah. But I, I do think all, I mean, that that thing about him being in, in sort of relatively. Impoverished area. I don't know how impoverished people imagine Shoreditch is, but <laughs> the uh, it is you know that's an important part of it, and a, yeah. a lot of that is from you know they go and have these focus groups and meet loads of people. I mean, a lot of the consultants on the programme seem to be people in very rich parishes, so I don't know what their mission yeah. is really. But um, I, I yeah, I I, w- I would say it's quite. I don't know if it's pro religion. It's sort of it's pro the people within. People that work within religion, uh, you know, professional religious <laughs> people, I suppose, and it's not it's not unsympathetic mm. to them, and I don't know why it would be because yeah, it's from a lot of their mm. their perspectives. I don't know. You go to Boston or somewhere, and you hold a you get fifty vicars in a room and say, "Tell us the worst thing that's happened to you," and um, <laughs> you know, four yeah. years later, there's a sitcom about it. So.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's um, that. Uh, I'd like to. Move on and talk about a show which I mentioned in the introduction, which is, as I say, one of my favourite um, radio shows, and that's um, uh, In and Out of the Kitchen, which you've done. You've done three series on radio. you uh, have done three series, yeah.
1: yeah. one is four episodes, and the right. other two are six, I think. Right.
0: And I I thought I would missed the pilot on telly because there's been a telly. Pilot, it's never been on it? it's, it's never, been never been on telly. On, so I, I, I in I was,
1: fact, what's ha- what's happened what's, is the pi- yeah. pilot has been. uh Turned into an episode of a three-episode series right. that will be on BBC Four. Okay. So bits. Most of the pilot is in that, and the little tiny bits have been done. It wasn't quite mm. long enough, and there's some sets that weren't in the first one that are now. I mean, it's uh, uh, yeah, not necessarily th- ideal, but it is the case. <laughs> yeah. Can you uh, a, a, a sad, sad,
0: but true case that uh, you know, not not everybody listens to enough. Radio comedy, and uh, if you could, could, could you explain oh, briefly yeah. what the the, uh, the premise? Um, is.
1: It is about uh, a cookery writer called Damien Trench, who lives with his partner Anthony McElvany in the Queens Park area, and uh, he is someone who writes those sort of book cookery books that are you know the sort of books that you read and you think oh that lo- sounds like such a lovely life that sounds oh he's just potted out and picked some basil and he's come back he'd done this and then he's quickly jotted off this and then done that it sounds marvellous but who I, I wanted to, the idea that the people that write those sort of books I wanted to imagine what it would be like sort of under the surface where in fact they, they, everything they write sounds just charming and relaxed but actually their own lives are much more of a panic but in fact they're beyond that actually it's someone who believes that his life is a total panic but it's it's very, very straightforward and uncomplicated, but he allows himself to get incredibly uh het up about things and is something of a fusspot. Mm-hmm. Uh and so in the radio series it's partly through diary, partly through recipes in the cookbooks and then, you know, the actual scenes. Uh and uh, he ha- they have permanent builders in Mr. Mullaney and um uh, whoever his uh, current apprentices. Um uh, and he has a literary agent, Philip Fox uh, no sorry, Ian, Philip Fox plays the literary agent uh, he's the literary agent so I have to try and get Damien to really do anything when he really, making house seems to be his main, but I'm, you know I've got sheets to fold in, it's very very hard to just drop that yeah. um, and, and it's, a lot of the programme is two people speaking very very quickly at each other <laughs> um, in great depth about very very little.
0: It really sort of drew me in, I remember listening to it as, as a neutral and and yeah. took took me about sort of five or ten minutes to to get uh, to to get drawn into it and and because it, it it's sort of on the surface it it's like it's very you 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 could sort of dip into about a minute and a half of it and out again and sort of think oh I've just been listening to a cookery program
1: you know, but but it's, it's yeah there, or a, sort, or a of sort of um you know the women's uh, drama or yeah or or or, or something yeah, yeah I I I had well the. It's produced by Sam Michel, and I. Yeah. When we sort of talk about it in advance of the scripts, like there was, I had a very definite idea in my head of how it would sound, which I don't know if I actually described in any great detail to Sam. But it is exactly how it sounds. I mean, when I listened to the first one, when he, he and the editor Chris Morris, they, you know, it's a lengthy process because it's very sort of textured and right. uh, and layered when it's finally done, and it really did sound exactly how I wanted it to sound, which was just an amazing. An amazing thing to happen but i remember saying very clearly to sam i really want people to listen to this for a, and for a good while i think what is this <laughs> and not really notice that some of it's <laughs> funny and that sort of thing yeah. and, it just, uh, it, it, it you is, know you've got to listen yeah. for the jokes i mean it's not it would be easy i say it'd be easy <laughs> people try it all the time but it, you know you could write the thing and then go right let's just put jokes 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 yeah. let's make it funny let's make it funny bang 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 but it, it, actually it's you know, it's, I wanted to sound very, very natural, but yeah. when after one, God, oh, these people are unbearable. They're ridiculous. But
0: it's the, the character as well. I mean, particularly when he's reading out a recipe, and it, and it, it is that, like I said, when you first sort of come to it, listening to a man listing a, a, a series of ingredients is not of itself a, a funny thing. But, <laughs> but the, no. the, the character that we get to know this, this, this like you say this this guy who's a kind of who's sort sort of seeding mass of, of, of you know, insecurity and, and and yeah i suppose neurosis. you're being that sort
1: of prescriptive about things and yeah mm. it's just yeah such as organic i beg of you uh, <laughs> it's trying like <laughs> there's, a little, there's one in there it's a a handful of honey if that doesn't sound inconvenient <laughs> <laughs> that sort of thing it's uh, it's just yeah. that sort of bit it's quite mm-hmm. fun well it's normally what happens is I, go, I write the thing and then I think well oh, I'll stick to the recipe and they will be for such and such and then I have one day at the end of the writing when I have to write up 18 recipes and try and make them amusing which is normally quite an unbearable day <laughs> um, but it's yeah I, 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 it, a lot of it is done on instinct really in terms of what Performance certainly, but a lot of the writing—it just—it just just seems to sort of happen in a way, and I—and that's something Mm. that I, 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 all I can do really is try and trust my instinct Mm. on that. So, if someone asks a question about something, I normally have a Mm. in general life. I'm a bit, I don't know, but when when it's that and I'm thinking about what what Damien would think or what what would fit within the program, I normally have a very definite idea of what the answer to a question is and what should happen and what needs to happen and what I feel is part of that show and what I feel isn't. And it's not something that I'm particularly good at describing. It's just something that I I very definitely feel. It came from a, a chat with um, Chris Neal. We were doing um, a gig at the, um, the Hobgoblin in Forest Hill and he said something about having been asked to write a book, a cookery book. And I... I really love um, cookery writing. I'm not a particularly good cook, but I really like the writing. I really yeah. like um, uh, Simon Hopkinson and, and Nigel Slater and Elizabeth David and those sort of people that write about food as if they're writing about a whole lifestyle. It's quite often very. It is <laughs> very relaxing to read, I think. Mm. And um, and he said, "Oh, is yeah? You know, what, what what might the book be?" And I said, "Oh, why don't you write a book that's like?" Um, Say it's like the kitchen diaries, but instead of it being that life, it's someone writing really nicely about a life that's totally unravelling. And they've got, um, they, but the thing is, they've got the contract, it's booked, so they've got this, um, you know, someone has been contracted for a year to take really beautiful photographs of everything he eats and he has to write the words. And the only thing... And this, they had this idea of this thing going completely to pieces and yet trying to write about it in a sort of... He's still adopting the same writing style and the story of a sort of, basically, sort of nervous collapse taking place or a up of a relationship taking place over a year or something, and and in it you then get a very <laughs> expensive book to produce. Or whatever. But within that, you know, you still you still got this poor food photographer coming along and having to take fo- trying to take a nice photograph of someone that's clearly like he's just he's fried an egg and put it on some broken biscuits, uh, and you know they've maybe tried to just oh, can we put it in a nicer bowl <laughs> or or something, and it's just the story being told in that in that way, which was just a sort of I don't know, an idea, and uh, we went and had a coffee about it. Um, rather than having a meeting about it or a discussion we specifically had a coffee about it and right. Chris said I don't really have I said why don't we write this together That's gonna need. so I don't really have time really um, and then I didn't do anything about it and then some months later I thought no I will write that thing because uh, I had this idea is Chris
0: still talking to you now
1: then? Yeah he, yeah uh, I mean he, you know I had an idea <laughs> I said do you want to write it with me he said no Okay, fair I enough. mean, that's it's not, <laughs> it's not like he said, here's an idea, and All I right, said, great, yeah. I'm going to turn yeah. that into a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I suggested an idea to him, I asked him if he wanted to write it, so you know, <laughs> there's, there's no <laughs> um, and um, but I'd love him to be in it actually, I think he'd be really funny. Hopefully, in the yeah, TV well, thing, well, be, he'd it, it, be a great it, sort of dinner party guest to have in it. it but it, I know, I well, I see he lives near me, Chris, so I bump into him quite often. Um, well, he he was a builder in uh, I remember in uh, Linda Smith's uh, radio
0: series. Was he? Yes, he was the uh, he was the. Uh,
1: then the, what about time wasting? Yeah. Yeah.
0: The brief history of time wasting. Yeah, he was the he was the he was the builder who was who was there actually. Oh, but, uh, I see. Was, right, uh, right, right. But you know, the gay builder, the camera builder. Right. <laughs> so, well, I, yeah.
1: No, I'd love I'd love him to be. In yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Um, he, so that's yeah. That's what it came we came from having that an idea I had during that chat with uh, Chris, and it's always, it has always sort of been very, yeah, weirdly in- instinctive. Because mm-hmm. the next question I
0: was going to ask you what was, is there, a, do you feel there are elements, large elements of you in there, but you've kind of answered that? Yeah. <laughs> um... Uh, You're saying it's kind of come, it's pretty much come out of your. There's a lot of it's instinctive. Oh,
1: I see. It's not instinctive in terms of the way he reacts, (laughs) is the way I would react. But I I don't mean that. I mean, actually, how he would think about things instinctively. So it must be that it must, presumably, the way he thinks about things is a route that I could maybe one could go. It's
0: like, like, um, you know, obviously, you know, um, say Steve Coogan is not Alan Partridge, but you could see how when you're creating a character that you sort of yeah. you, you tap into the things that you know are your things that are things that might
1: you know so have you ever read those an Guinness diaries there's one where he's, he goes he has lunch with them um, Barry Humphreys and he clearly knows Humphreys well and he, he says yeah. it's really strange the way that there is not an aspect of his personality that is like Dame revenge at all you cannot see where from where from where within him that character would yeah. emanate. I suppose. Someone, I remember reading an interview with Alan Murray in which he said, "You know, one of the sort of things with the pub landlord is basically your first, if you can grasp your first sort of reactionary response to something you hear without allowing yourself to edit it or filter in any way." There's the before you go oh that person is what am i saying no that's a dreadful thing to think. if you can just get <laughs> yeah. to that thought before yeah. you know reason and decency <laughs> grabs a hold of you <laughs> then there's something to go with i mean i i i think you know i'm not sort of prone <laughs> to panic in the way that um mm. damon is but i get yeah quite sort of baity about things i suppose
0: deadline sort of fear of deadlines or something maybe that might be
1: well i recently i've not i've not been writing anything for the last 2 last month maybe, and I have felt I have myself feeling really relaxed, <laughs> oddly. I was doing, just continually sort of double, always writing something whilst doing another thing for ages. Uh, so writing stand-up when I was doing the job at the National and doing Rev, and then once I was doing the stand-up tour, writing the TV episodes in and out of the kitchen, there was always a thing going on. I was thinking, that's great, isn't it? It's always when well, you do doing one thing, you've got another thing going on. It's a good time to do stuff, which which is true. And then I've finished finished the series and thought I actually have to write anything at the moment for a little while. And I've got some sort of acting stuff lined up. And I feels incredibly incredibly <laughs> relaxing not having to yeah. just churn because uh, it does. I know that's not a particularly nice, respectful way of looking at it, but sometimes you think that's a lot. You know, got to do six episodes by such and such. Or, do you, I
0: yeah I, I, I'm curious it's something I ask if you're asked you know I mean there's a lot of people who I've interviewed and a lot of people I know who are clearly writer performers they're not you know whereas 20-30 mm-hmm. years ago you were a writer or you were a performer um, I mean, there were a few people occasionally but I mean what, what do you think is a what's the first word do you think do you think you are a writer or a performer
1: performer yeah uh, would come first. But I do a perform I mean the phrase writer performer I think is a I think I don't know, I, I mean I do a lot of Well, writer performer you'd get a very specific idea of people that write and perform their own stuff. Whereas if I mean if one is to be very uh anal about this sort of thing, whereas I do a lot of performing other people's stuff. I mean you know, I do as much mm. acting as I Right. Um able to i suppose someone that was in a sketch troupe and that was their thing i would call them a writer performer i suppose i'm an actor who writes and does yeah stand up yeah. or can do stand up. Right. just to, to talk
0: about the, the uh the in and out of the kitchen the tv version how have you had to make it presumably you've had to do different things so. yeah
1: there's i mean in the radio one there's sort of three i mean it's off in no particular order but in the radio one there's i think three recipes it's that's on TV I think there'll be one per ep or something Mm -hmm. maybe there's two I can't I might be wrong about that I can't remember Um, but that's you know suddenly that's a visual thing and that needs to be more interesting there is a thing whereby I think in radio I think this is generally the case things can be completely character driven um, and then this sort of gentle storyline whereas television things need to be more narrative driven and then Uh the characters are, are within it. So the the plots are more complex. I mean, it's not, you know, it's, it's it's not memento, but, I mean, it's, it's you know, there's just, you know, A, Bs and C, C strands, the plot. Sam Michel, the producer, is, um, uh, you know, he's very good on sort of structure and that yeah. sort of thing. And what we did for all the radio ones and then the TV ones is we bash out, a, you know, come up with the ideas of storylines then we do bash out a scene by scene and that means you know this this happens here this happens that you know all, all that stuff and then in the so with the radio one, it's which bits are dialogue which bits are recipe which bits are uh, diary uh, and that's a very detailed thing from which then the the writing is is quite enjoyable i suppose and that made on the last series i can't remember what it was what the deadline was imposed by other than the series recording the series itself but i was having to write i can't remember what i was about to do But something, and I needed to get stuff done. And Justin Edwards wrote one of the episodes. Right. And he, we were able to give him. He plays the partner, doesn't he? He plays Anthony, yeah. And he was able, I mean, it was really funny, uh, but we were able to give him a complete breakdown of what the script he had to write was. Right. This bit is recipe. This happens, and it's told in the form of dialogue. This happens, and it's told in diary. Mm. Um, And, you know, I took a sort of pass at it after he'd done it, but it was really, you know, one could. It felt a bit like showrunning, but um, I don't know if there's career made. Showrunner on Radio 4, I think the sort of budgets would not necessarily stretch that. But in the TV yeah. one, the cast is the same, Yeah, uh, which was something that I really, really thought was important, partly in terms of understanding what it is. I mean, it is quite a sort of weird thing. It's quite hard to describe, I think. Um, but you may be able to do so more succinctly than me. And I I, I thought, if if this was a thing in which you were given a part and turned up to do it, you'd think, what is this? (laughs) Um, Whereas with the... There's a sort of shorthand, I suppose, with the the radio. We've all been playing those characters for three years, or maybe more, I can't Mm -hmm. remember exactly how many it is, but everyone has a definite idea of what it is. And so the language of the programme and the tone, everyone is completely... O'Fay with al- already, and Mandy Fletcher, the director. So there's a big difference with radio. Is you have, a, you know, the producer effectively directs things. Uh, where television, you have a, a director, director, director. And Mandy Fletcher, who is, you know, I think she's just fabulous. And she, you know, she's worked with everyone, so she's very, ex- she's sort of experienced in that regard. But she has a very definite sense of, of what the thing is. And also she knows, you know, she does a lot of, thinking prior to being on on set the way what what you know so she knows what's what shots she needs for various things and a definite idea of how things need to work, which is obviously that what that secondly, that is always up for discussion uh, but also by just having that sort of stuff there ready means that then there is there is space to discuss it's for instance it is the equivalent of having an immaculate defensive technique using that as the basis for your entire uh, style of batting. Mm. Uh, if you've got that bit done, then then there is space for you to sort of build and sort of maybe do a bit of improvisation or just throwing in ideas that you have on the moment. If you've got if you've done the sort of spade work and Mandy, you know, knows what she wants when she turns up, and as a result it means that filming can be done quite quite quickly. It's not right. like the sort of thick of it or Veep where they do sort of thirty pages a day or something. But mm. it's um, you know, it's a very very definite idea of how things need to be and she has a really strong, you know, she listened to the radio programme before she directed it, so she's working with her has been a real it's great, I mean, you know, from a sort of fanboy point of view, great, she did Blackadder 2 and 3, how awesome but well, from a, from an yeah. sort of acting point of view, you think oh, this is fantastic, the, every question I right, ask is being true. answered.
0: I think it's different also being a director on a non-audience show, I mean the, the director on an audience sitcom is slightly less um, I would say over over the show in the way that a kind of
1: presumably um, because people behave differently in front of an audience, don't they? Yeah. And there's sort of nothing you can do if you rehearse it in a particular way, and then people see an audience and go, and yeah. go bonkers. Then you're like, well, yeah. that was the one. So that's what we've yeah. we've sort of I get a gone sense with. that
0: the director on a non-audience show is more like the, the, the sort of the movie director, isn't, aren't they really? Yeah, they're yeah. Really I mean, if you're doing a
1: sort of support. single camera yeah. shoot like that, it's absolutely all yeah, they're across the whole the whole lot and they are you know directing e- each particular yeah. you know from every they're directing each thing from every every view so that 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 sort of chemistry i think is really really important and it feels like a really good gang that works i mean who knows what happens with something you know you write things three episodes that could be it but mm. if it doesn't go again it was you know when when it is was it great. um going out i have literally no idea i'm right. i went to see some grading yesterday right um which is not a thing that anyone needs to go and watch unless they really have to be there, um, <laughs> but you know they often get you drinks and things. It's you know it's when they. I didn't even know what grading was. It's like.
0: And it's something to do with the color of the. The color of film everything. It's something. incredibly detailed sort yeah. of thing,
1: but it's like you know, there's only way we can make that cupboard look slightly less white, but yeah. that sort of thing. <laughs> mm. um, which is it? Which is all? I mean, that kind of thing within and like, at the kitchen is very sort of important. I always sort of think the house was you know, mm. like that. Another member of cast, but the cast themselves. I really. I really like working with them. And I. it's a great when you're writing something to so you know exactly who's going to do it. There's this sort of yeah. thing, isn't there? People go, oh, jobs for the boys. And and you think, well, I can understand why anyone would want to write for people mm. that they know, and they know what they do and mm, can write exactly, either to their yeah. strengths or things that they think. Mm. God, that, he, he never does that. I wish he would do something like this. Mm. Well, I'll write it for him. Um, I The first series I wrote, not knowing who'd play any of the characters. I didn't know that I'd played Damien. I remember... Having had the script commissioned and talking with Chamber um, Two in um, BBC Radio Comedy, and I was going through it, I was going. It. It's very hard to know who to cast because I mean, who speaks like this? <laughs> just going, "You speak like this. <laughs> you, you, you should play that." Part. <laughs> um, but I, I hadn't written it with any of that, with any specific in mind. So then, once I had in that cast, I just really didn't want to let them go. And I, there wasn't an awful lot of pressure. I know some things you think, the I, you know, some people just think they're not going to, they don't. They want to sort of cast it, starry or or whatever. But those people, And Philip Fox who plays Ian Frobisher. I think is just mm-hmm. spectacularly, spectacularly funny man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Justin. Of course, Justin very, is very talented man. Yeah, Justin's really funny. <laughs> There's This big sort of three man sofa and the set this thing. And whatever reason, Justin's character, he sort of it works in finance, but sort of from home in a consultancy point of view, and he's. I'd often written him that he'd sort of have an iPad or whatever on which he'd sort of be, you know, he's wandering around in his dressing gown looking at stuff. And we filmed this day it had gone quite well and Justin was sitting on the, or lying on the cross, of the sofa, doing all these lines. And I said, um, at the end of the day, I thought, oh, that was good. And Justin went, do you know what? That is one of, I think genuinely, that is one of the best days filming I've ever had. And I was really, I thought, like, oh, right, wow, that's... Oh, well, great. And he went, yeah, I mean... Well, I've been on the sofa all day, I've hardly had a stand-up, I've got an iPad, there's Wi-Fi here, it's got all my lines on it. It's been absolutely, honestly, it's been one of the easiest days. <laughs> but just, just to, to fill you in in case you're
0: not sure, Justin Edwards is a, a very tall, very funny man. Very tall. He's, he's uh, ben you Swain would have seen him on, on telly, um, he's he's in everybody else's shows, um, amazingly has not yet had his own show but he sounds well, he like did he's have a,
1: a he did have a lead in a sitcom didn't he about i can't think what it was called now mm. about he was in something months, to do with brothels.
0: uh last week I saw yeah that, and uh he is terrific he's a brilliant actor very funny guy and very funny writer as well but uh yeah he I'm is curious to know what you would say to somebody uh well if some, somebody who's starting out say as a uh as a writer, performer, maybe as a stand-up or as a writer, what what sort of advice would you give to somebody?
1: Well, you've just got to. You've just got to get on with it, with the best will in the world. I mean, if you want to write, sit and write. It's all. I mean, I've I've had a... Well, Simon Munro and I once went and did a residential writing course that we taught on in. Um, oh, somewhere Devon or somewhere, and um, you know. I, is people turning up and they w- want to write, so they've paid money to come on a course and learn how to write. But you know, I always thought the main thing was you've just got to. This this in itself is a is is a form of um, procrastination. I mean, hmm. sit down and write, or <laughs> if not on a laptop, then get a receipt out and write down some things that you might like to write about, and then eventually a thing will form. I mean, writing is a thing that you just it's it's really unbearable. So you might as well for that for that reason, <laughs> you might as well get on with it. Yeah. Um, and with the performing thing, you just take any opportunities that you can. So with the great thing about stand-up, from a starting it point of view, is the simplicity of it. It is, uh, uh, you know, these things exist. You ring up and say, can I do an open spot? There's a microphone, there's a stage. There's hopefully an audience. You stand there and you, and you do the thing. It's not like wanting to put on a play where you need to get, you know, I mean, mm. you know, that would be unbelievably complicated, wouldn't it? So you, that, from that point of view, but because uh, the quicker you do it, the quicker you can, and the quicker you start doing it, and the more you do it, the, the sooner you can develop your voice. And I, you know, I think everybody, everybody sort of has one. And you, it turns, you know, you, but you're not the sort of best judge of yourself often. So you need to sort of do this um, voyage of discovery uh, to, to 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 find out what what your sort of. You know what you your take on things. You know, it wouldn't
0: apparently these days there are it's a lot harder to get on to to, to, to get slots.
1: Home I'm slots. sure that so is that the case. I think it's very com- competitive now, and it's that is that will be another reason to to crack on with it. But the other thing is the existence of different sorts of circuits. So there's a stand up circuit. There's also um, a sketch circuit. Now putting on your own sketch stuff is probably a bit tougher, but nonetheless also possible. I mean there are mm. there are sketch nights. a sketch circuit exists. The, the, the key is to, to do as much writing as you as you can I think if you want to be a writer former and have the stuff so that when if opportunities arrive, arise um, you know you, you can take them, I remember seeing Dave Gorman saying things he, when he realised he wanted to do this sort of thing for a living then every he had to do every day he had to definitely do some writing tr- do some phone calls to try and get onto a stage and um a third thing that i've forgotten maybe it was actually do a gig but at the minimum ev- uh, minimum uh, every day mm. you need to be doing at least one of those things mm. and i and i i think that's that's a, that's true you've got to sort of try and advance yourself every day in in a, in in any way you can without trying to sound like some sort of um self help manual that you <laughs> buy in an airport of course the problem when
0: you're a writer is the, the thing that uh Makes you a writer sometimes is that sort of crippling social inability to go out there and promote yourself and say, "Yeah, oh, here's my stuff. Oh, you're all gonna hate it. You're all gonna yeah. hate me." <laughs> Please don't read it, but here it is. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's a bit of a bit of a problem there. Um, I suppose that with that stuff, it's just sending stuff in, and it's yeah. you know that I, that is not easy. I mean, I, mm. that really isn't easy. Mm. But you you have to send just you have to take the opportunities to get stuff in front of people. Someone I, I went to a thing that Tony Jordan did a theatre and it he um, was doing a Q&A and a uh, and he said uh, on my way in I came into the stage door and um, there was someone standing there with a script for me to read and I think people thought oh dear right that's probably a bit you know we've all come it's very nice for you to come and speak one person standing at the stage door with a script and an envelope for me to read and they said why has only one of you done that for heaven's sake why hmm this is an opportunity. I'm here, you've come here because you want to learn how to write and you already write and, you know, you know I've got, I have a production company and I <laughs> run yeah. things and what if I can't believe what's, you know, hmm. w- why has only one of you done that? And there is a... He know. may live to
0: regret saying that the next time he goes to talk and You're 500 know, people... At the stage yeah. door. And no, <laughs> the stage and, door. <laughs> and no one at the That's Q&A. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. yeah, Um Now, I just, uh, I, I noticed on your website, I was just sort of checking um, and it says under... Uh, Twitter, it says uh, no or something like yeah, that. And, absolutely uh, not. So, what what's, what do you have against? Uh, do you do other social media at all? Well, know? I've
1: got a MySpace account <laughs> that I'm incapable of closing. And re- Recently, right. there's some stuff in the. Hilariously, there's some stuff in my new show about MySpace. <laughs> um, but it's more about the fact that we, one is incapable of leaving it rather than um, yeah, how awesome yeah, it is. Very right. recently, I got an email from someone saying so and so has changed their MySpace profile. <laughs> and I thought. Gosh, imagine doing that! <laughs> but I—I um, I suppose my th- my thing about that—I pretend to hate it more than I do. I mean, I look at it. I—I—I I, I don't have an account, so I can't specifically follow things. But you know, it's all—it's mm. all public domain, which no one, huge numbers of people really don't seem. But how do you look at it if you're not on it? Because it's just—it's yeah. just a collection of web pages, isn't it? Essentially, I mean, mm. at its sort of most basic. Um my personally I don't I don't want to have an account I don't want to be in a situation I don't want that want to find myself sort of dragged into bickering or or whatever I think it's an inno- I mean I don't I don't have an account and I think I look at that thing too often mm. so if I had one I mean my god uh but I also also genuinely I I I I, I, I just sort of want to kind of distance Really, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm mm-hmm. very happy to sort of. I don't want to, you know, that that sort of gate. I don't want to be sort of necessarily. I mean, you will being delightful, but I don't necessarily want to be asked questions or uh, uh, mm. that that sort of thing. I think I sort of envy people that never express opinions. I think that God, that must be great. That's a sort of great point of uh, partly because mystique is. I don't know. There's a certain je ne sais quoi about Mystique, isn't there? Um there's it's just that sort of thing you know, you think, Well look at like James McAvoy, I don't know what he thinks about anything and I, I sort of mm. like him for that. Yeah, yeah. Um or at like Michael Fassbender. or something. I don't I don't know what he thinks and he doesn't you know he's not mm. pressured to tell people about stuff. I think sometimes the sort of blurting that people do on uh Twitter or just that sort of getting mm. into rows with people and whatever, and you think it's all mm. you know it's
0: possible to be involved in it without Doing that doing sort of that. stuff. No, I'm. I'm I do sure it is. I have a love-hate relationship with it. I must say, there are times when I go on there and I think this is this noise. It's like a yeah. like white noise. I'm reading white noise here. I must get my head away from it. I Other mean, times it's yeah, quite interesting. Well, it's yeah.
1: Well, I think it's a really good way of following news stories. For mm. instance, I have mm. to say that Peter Dukes' account. Mm. About the hacking trial, I look at yeah, that yeah, yeah, every day, mm-hmm. and I go sometimes in the evening, mm-hmm. uh, rather than having um, a glass of white wine and an hour on Mum's net, <laughs> I um, have a glass of red wine and read the storyfied versions of um, his entire right, his his reports of the day's coverage, and I find it I find it genuinely fascinating, and I, that's a really good way of being able to to f- hmm. To follow something, I look at Surrey cricket's uh, Twitter feed. Um, I, was you know,
0: say, well, I haven't even um, talked to you about um, crickets. You know, well, uh, what I want what is
1: someone to. D- I would if if the ICC did an inquiry into match fixing, hmm. uh, uh, and and someone like Peter Dukes wanted to be crowd funded to go and live tweet from the uh, hearings. That would be that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'd be very up for that. Hmm. Um, I do
0: find actually during test cricket, I find the existence of Crick Info is one of the most. Uh, Difficult things when trying to work, yeah. especially when there's like an exciting period of. Can you work can with TMS on? I tried it for the first time actually over um, in the I think it was the when the early mornings at the end of play in, yeah. the, in the last Ashes series, but in fact I was finding it so depressing listening to that, and I. <laughs> <it off. laughs> but uh, no, I can't really work with with TMS.
1: I'm not boasting, but I I can write with the, with Test Special on. That is that is an achievement. Which do you prefer, cricket or comedy? Do you think
0: um, had to choose one or the other? Well, the life? thing
1: is, if I if I had been a cricketer, I'm now at the age. I'm 34. Mm-hmm. I would be described as you know that's it now. You'd
0: be going low down the order now, wouldn't you? you he's would just be,
1: well, he's 34. You see, yeah, he's, he's 34. A bit of pace. That's it. I mean, yeah. you know, it. would be better. You know, you
0: might become a spin bowler. Thirty-four, I but it, I mean, if, if I Eddie something else in the game for 40 played for England at forty-four, didn't he?
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, Graham Gooch played until he was um, forty-four, yeah. but I'm, I mean, it's you know that's that's unlikely. Alex Stewart was wicket keeping at forty. Devin Malcolm was bowling very fast at first-class level at the age of forty. But mm-hmm. I, I don't think I would be one of those people. <laughs> uh, but also yeah. thirty-four. This that's an age when were you were really good at cricket. You that's the No, no, problem. of course oh. I'm, I'm, running, I'm running before I can walk. Here, no, I'm quite rubbish. Keen but rubbish, but you wrote you wrote a book about cricket. and
0: you, yeah. you talked about the tour. We haven't really even sort of mentioned this yet. But do um, tell us a little bit about what the what the book was uh, about.
1: Uh, well, I, the book is called Fibber in the Heat," and it was a. I did this thing in 2006. I went to India, um, with traveling with the press corps on an England cricket tour of India, uh, masquerading as a journalist, in the hope that I could become one by, you know, just being in the right place at the right time. And I did have a vague promise of work, actually, when I went out there from the Western Mail in Cardiff, which um, dematerialised, is that the word? Uh, I don't know if it's a word. I had the work and then it it was taken from under me as a result of someone's injury. Um, And so I so I, uh, I was... But I was masquerading also as the BBC Scotland... Um, Chief cricket correspondent. So I got myself into, you know, the pr- I got eventually I sort of passed and got into the press box, and I travelled around India with, you know, this bunch of people, many of whom are my are my heroes, watching the games in the press box and going to the press conferences, and sometimes travelling with the team and uh, these sorts of things, just trying to sort of blag my way into into that world. And it was, um, I thought, the difficult thing would be getting in. That was the easy bit. I don't know if it was easy now, but that, that, for me, that was, that was the easy bit. The, the hard bit was then once you do what you, you know. You know, you, there's an episode of Frasier when he's at the sort of spa and he keeps wanting to. Oh, there's a gold membership. I want to go. Happens when you go through the gold door, and then oh, there's another door, and eventually they find this ultimate door. and They go through it at the end, and it just just goes out of the street. It's by the bins. And they've always wanted to just get through the door, get through the door. And I, once you're in that room, you think, hang on, I've got to hold my own now. And people are going to ask who I am and what I do and who I work for and my opinions about stuff. And that was that was the aspect of it I had given naively, very, very little thought to. And I found myself frequently at a at a complete <laughs> complete loss and really out of my depth. Um and so I went I was out there for a month on this sort of it was a three test tour. And um having I would like I'd love to be able to say varying degrees of success, <laughs> but <laughs> it was all pretty pretty consistently having no success. Um and so I came back and um, hadn't become a cricket journalist, obviously, and eventually sort of started doing stand-up and stuff again. But I... And it was just a thing that happened. I sort of tried to write a book and then put it away. And, and then I... I, um, Yeah, I, I did a show about it, eventually, in 2010... I, did, I was very influenced by Tom Rigglesworth who did an excellent show called um, An Open Return Letter to Richard Branson which was okay. about his experience yeah. on a train well, a really. virgin very train where like he, uh, sort of, ultimately he got arrested for begging <laughs> but actually he was trying to recoup some money that an unpleasant ticket inspector had uh, forced an elderly <laughs> lady on the wrong train to pay and um, it was, there was a Radio 4 version of it and I thought, what a great idea just to do a show that is just one story I mean, mm. lots of people must have done that but that was the one that made me think, what a brilliant idea uh, and I was listening to it with my wife Rachel and I was going be... I was sort of humming and harming about whether or not to do a Fringe show because I'd done three in a row and you know nothing you know you're just chipping away at a, an edifice and nothing's nothing's mm. happening really mm-hmm. and I thought I could maybe I could do a show at Edinburgh and then it occurred and then I and then I heard that I thought well what if it was a show like that it was a bit sort of different it wasn't just a straight stand up show then that's the that's sort of the story I've got so I'm wrote it up and I worked with a gentleman called Peter Searles who's probably known to you from the wow. storytelling world. Brilliant. And um, I went off and I did the New Zealand Comedy Festival and a bit of the Melbourne Comedy Roadshow. And I wrote, you know, stupid amount of stuff, like 40,000 words or something, and I came back and then Peter and I bashed it into this show and then I, uh, it went all very nicely and then I got a book deal and um, blah blah de blah de blah and everything, mar- marvellous. But uh, I sat on this story for a long time, really, mm. not knowing quite what to do with yeah, this yeah, failure. Yeah. But it mm-hmm. turns out you could just you could describe it to people, and that's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: good. I'm sorry I missed the show. Actually, I would love to. <coughs> well, <there's>, uh, <coughs> lucki-
1: luckily, and I've now recorded a DVD of it. Right. So, okay. Uh, which will also be available as an audio. What's it presumably for? You know, for the car.
0: Right, okay, so we've got Fibber in the Heat coming out as an audio, and uh, as a DVD. We've got Correct. In and Out of the Kitchen coming up at some point. On That's right. Yeah. Are, is there going to be
1: another radio series? There or has there? one been commissioned now. I don't know when, I'll, I mean, I'm not, I don't know when I can do it. But it's been commissioned, the fourth one. Right. I mean, there's probably a definite time it has to be done by, but I don't know what that time is. Right. Soon, probably, yeah. next week.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's about half an hour or so. Yeah, um, yeah, can there be eight of them? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And um, so that's all good, and you have got this the, the, this uh, tour as well. And um, I just wanted to um, uh, ask you one last question. I'll do this thing now. We, we have a, it's it's sort of the equivalent of Desert Island Disc, but it's uh, it's like the uh, it's, we've kind of updated it now. It's a sort of post nuclear holocaust. Really, the whole the yeah. world is completely destroyed, and you you're left with one uh, precious comedy item, the one comedy item, one the one thing that you were
1: you would keep. What I would really everything. love to have and I don't think it can exist because he's not organised enough, is a, a complete, complete um, works of Simon Munry. Uh, every hmm. one liner he's written, every story he's written down, every monologue he's written. Um, every, ev- every show he's every done. Every thought he's improvised, every single hmm. thing that Simon Munry has done, I would love to be able to read all of that, I just think he is <laughs> the complete works of the p-
0: total brain of Simon. Yeah, Minery, as much yes. as
1: possible. The stuff like he was doing at Footlights as that security guard mm-hmm. monologue oh, about God the dangerous <laughs> scissors. Well, before that, he was in a double act called uh, Oh God, God and, and Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's a in his house. Uh, oh, he's moved house now. But in his old house, there was a clipping up on the wall in the kitchen, which was a review of that show by bizarrely Owen Dudley Edwards. Mm the um, historian yes. mm. who hadn't enjoyed it, but I think had <laughs> had not enjoyed it in a way that had really really delighted simon yeah. and uh, this little <laughs> cliff was the only only thing up on one enormous uh wall i've um i've i've been I've been very fortunate to work with Simon a lot over the years, and i um i I just think he's extraordinary and i mm. think. But there's so there's so much to what goes in in that head that he. I had a year two thousand eight I think it was. I spent. I did over a hundred shows with him. I think we did these shows that Stuart Lee had written. Uh, mm-hmm. One was called Boswell and Johnson, late but live, and one was mm-hmm. called Elizabeth and Riley, late but live. And we did two tours. You know, people in a van sort of tours and a run at Edinburgh, which was I would say f- fairly to extremely disastrous. The Edinburgh bit but the, uh, the tours were fantastic and I you know I've got to spend a lot of time with him but he's you know he just has such an extraordinary you're only sort of scratching the surface I see sometimes just because there's so much the, the depths are so sort of un, unthinkable mm-hmm. but if I if I if someone and maybe um I don't know some There must be lots of people that would want such a thing, surely. Mm. Uh, If someone is there, any way of collecting together as much of money as exists in the world? If he could be convinced to go through his, I don't know if he even has a filing cabinet. He probably doesn't. Mm. Just get all the stuff he's got out and just. Mm. I would. I would absolutely love that.
0: Yeah, I mean it's so hard because I mean I must have done about twenty or thirty new material nights where he's been on, and each time there's been something, something extraordinary and something that. Yeah. You just never see anyone else do, and it's a sort of whether it's a weird, wearing a bucket on his head, or, or oh, just yeah, yeah. The, um, um, a live animation. Well, this
1: new thing, something. film maker, or film maker, he does. I mean, that wouldn't work right. in a book form, but that is an entire show which Yeah,
0: it's not really a book, is it? It's the brain, but you basically have to have the brain in, in, in you know, uh, or something that wires attached to the brain or something.
1: Maybe or the luxury should just be Simon yeah yeah uh, if he, <laughs> if, he and, if he and i alone together could survive a nuclear hot... yeah that would be better yeah. than a book version okay. be
0: actually simon munnery then yeah can that's he be he'll be my, my luxury good. yeah
1: that's never good. mind the book
0: okay well that's fantastic well mars thank you ever so much been been delightful um, it's been chatting to you interest. and uh all the best you've added some extra dates to the tour haven't you as well so yeah, that's, that's nice
1: 20 something dates and i'm going to yeah. do a few festivals as well yeah. um, all being well
0: Johnny Good, thank you ever so much and uh, thank you to Daniel Kainer as ever for uh, the studio, that thank has you. been uh, the water You Laughing At podcast and uh, there'll be another one soon